You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan and I am your host. Before I start the episode today, I just wanted to give a special plug to at mystery date with a book underscore. Cody, who runs the organisation, is currently studying social work and saw a need within her community for organisations that help people with monetary funds. Mystery Date with a Book is a Toowoomba-based initiative which is donating all profits from their sales towards the purchase of school books for marginalised children in the community. The beginning of the school year is a perfect time to support such a worthy cause and pick up a mystery read for yourself. Follow at mystery date with a book underscore on Instagram or Facebook to purchase a date or make a donation. Hello and welcome to the Book Story Podcast. My name is Tegan and I am your host. On this episode today, I'm going to interview two bookstagrammers, Briley from at Briley and Books, as well as Mimi from at MimReads underscore. We're going to talk about our most anticipated reads for 2021, as well as the girls' bookstagram accounts, in particular how they get engagement from their followers and what is the best photo they think they have ever taken. We'll then talk about one of the most iconic stories of 2020, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V. E. Schwab. And just a warning, there will definitely be some spoilers on this episode. Hello and welcome to the Bookstore and Podcast, ladies. Mimi, how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Well, thank you. And what about you, Briley? How are you? I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Very good. We've, um, we are experiencing some different weather um, tonight across the different places that we are speaking from, which just makes our country all the more lovable. Uh, one of the things that I do want to ask you both about is your most anticipated read for 2021. This is our icebreaker question for this episode. Mimi, what is it that you are most looking forward to reading? So I think my most anticipated read, and there's a lot of them, let me tell you, but I'm really especially excited for um, Rules of Wolves by Leigh Bardugo, um, the sequel to King of Scars, because I'm a really big fan of the Grishaverse and especially Nikolai, so I think that's probably my most anticipated read. Awesome, thank you. And what about you, Briley? What is your most anticipated read of 2021? Um, it's got to be A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Maas. Um, I'm just really excited to read about um, Cassian and Nesta. I know a lot of people don't like Nesta, but I actually ended up liking her towards the end of the series. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how the story goes. Um, yes, I'm also really looking forward to reading the other instalment of A Court of uh, Thorns and Roses. And I uh, actually spoke to a few bookstagrammers about this on the podcast last season. So I'm really excited to see if some of our predictions come to life. My most anticipated read, apart from the one that you've mentioned, Briley, just to add a little bit of spice um, into the podcast, is The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. So it is due for release in March of this year and it's a dual storyline of past and present, which I always love because it feels like you're getting a two for one story. It deals with things like poison and liberation of women. Um, it feels very Chicago 
in the way that the the poisons are sold to women who are having um, issues with certain men in their lives. So I love Chicago, the musical, and it feels a bit like that. Um, it's also set in London. So one of my favourite places to read about the cover as well. If you've um, if you have a little Google of the cover, it's this beautiful like jeweled. Uh, lidded apothecary bottle on top and it's a gorgeous like deep purple and there's all these lovely florals all around it and it just looks absolutely beautiful so I've been patiently waiting for that one to come out and hopefully it, uh, it might even be a bit similar to the invisible life of Addie LaRue with some of the settings and the past and present storyline in it as well. I all always ask my bookstagrammer guests a little bit about their account. So Briley, you have joined me before. Your handle is at Briley and Books. Can you refresh everyone's memory about your bookstagram feed? So my bookstagram feed is really minimalist. It's usually just a book and a cup of coffee, maybe a blanket. Um, I usually try and put more work into my captions, I guess, and just making sure everything's coherent in my feed. And Mimi, your handle is at mimreads underscore. Can you describe your feed? Um, so my feed's kind of ever-changing. I'd say I'm still a pretty new bookstagram, so I'm just finding my feet with it. At the moment, it's sort of flowers and browns. Um, I, I move between uni and my home a lot, so I just make do with what I have. Um, so honestly, it could change next week and we never know. But at the moment, I'm really feeling the brown tones and um, it kind of swaps between minimalist and a lot of stuff all at once where I really try and make it coherent in tones and, and colours. So speaking about different like tones and colours and, and browns and little florals and that that you use within your photos, if you had to pick just one photo that you've taken, Mimi, what would it be? Could you describe it for us? Yeah, so pretty recently, actually, I took a photo. Um, I've just read The Folk of the Air Trilogy by Holly Black, um, and I had received a, a beautiful artwork by, um, what's her, uh, at Flourishing Fables. She's a, a relatively new uh, fan art account. Um, so I took a photo with the book and and some flowers and this beautiful fan art. And it received a lot of uh, like love and appreciation for people. And I really just love showing off um, the hard work that other people do as well as the books I'm reading. So I'd have to say that um, all this appreciation really made it my favorite post. Uh, I'm just having a look at that post now, Mimi. And I think as well that what I recognize that you've said too, is that you like to help other people out and I think that's one of the reasons why Bookstagram is such a great place to be on because it's not always about having a self-centered photo like we might see in some other influencers post. A lot of the time it's also about highlighting and showcasing what others are doing um, in the realm of that creativity. And what about you, Briley? What is one of your favorite pictures that you have ever posted on your account? So I've been on Bookstagram for like four years now. So I've taken a lot of photos in that time so I'll go with probably one of my more recent photos and it was a candle reveal for Spark and Sparrow Perth um, and I think it was the editing which was the most fun in that one I just got some pictures of some um, open books and made it look like they were flying through the photo and that's probably my most favorite one I've done recently and I received a lot of likes for it too which was nice. And what sort of editing software do you normally use when you're creating an image like that? Um, I'm actually really basic. I've used the PixArt app to do that one. And they have all the, like, the little 
So you just, you know, play around with it and put the other pictures in there and you can put effects over the top of it. It's really, really easy to use. Obviously, I can do it on my phone as well. So I can do it while I'm watching TV, which is convenient for me. That's good. And it's nice that it has its own little uh, feel of creativity to it as well. And, and it would definitely take a lot of thought uh, to create something like that. Briley, how do you engage others in your bookstagram account? This isn't something I feel like I do as well as I could. I sort of forget to engage with people sometimes. I recently enjoy, uh, joined an engagement group, which is just basically an Instagram account, which you follow and, you know, 30 or 40 other people follow. And you just tag that account. Um, and then you go to all the tagged pictures of that account and you comment on each other's pictures. And I've gotten a lot of comments doing that. Um, I also find putting a question in each of my posts really helps with engagement as well. And especially I noticed in your post as well that the question appears first. So it's the first thing uh, that the viewer sees as well, because quite often when we are scrolling through, if the question's at the end, unless you click the more button to actually read the rest of the comment, you're missing the question. Uh, so I quite like that you do that. And I'm, I usually look forward to the sorts of questions that you ask because they're very similar to those icebreaker questions. So it's a good way to share what you're reading or reflect back on something that you've read that, that relates to the question that you've asked as well. So it's a really good way to engage people. Yes. So Mimi, how do you engage readers in your bookstagram account? So I think I'm pretty similar to Briley in that um, I also like to pop a question at the start of my post. It's something I started doing maybe like a month or two ago because um, I would do it a little bit later and I noticed that not everyone likes to scroll to, to get to that question. So if it's the first thing they see, it's a bit more engaging. I've also recently, like very, very recently been added to a engagement group. So I'm not super certain on how they work, but um, I also like engaging in other people's posts. Um, asking them questions, commenting, saying what I love about their posts. And I find that often that receives back, they'll come back to my post and say, oh, this looks great. Or, you know, what did you think about this book? And it's, um, then it starts a dialogue between different, like different bookstagrams. And I really enjoy that. The idea of an engagement group is completely new to me. So I'm going to go off script um, and just ask you, first of all, Briley, how you found an engagement group and how it actually works, if you don't mind. So I received a message from another bookstagrammer who I follow and I was doing a rep term with her at the time for Spark and Sparrow and I actually hadn't heard of it either when she messaged me and so I looked into it and I sort of said yeah I'll do it and um, basically I just go to that engagement group account I guess you could call it they all have different account names. There's bajillions of them when you look and you tap on other people's photos, you can see um, that they've tagged all these engagement groups sometimes and they often are accounts that end a lot of comments because of it. It is a little bit hard to track off because there's every person's post, like, save and comment every person's post who are a part of that engagement group. I think I understand a little bit more about how it actually works. And yeah, I would, I would definitely find it hard to kind of keep track of making sure you're saving or making sure you're liking or commenting um, on other people's posts. So speaking of something else that has definitely engaged a lot of bookstagrammers uh, in 2020 is The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. This is definitely a book 
that Bookstagram has made me buy. Uh, and I know Briley and I were bonding last year over waiting our copy of The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue because it took a little while to actually come in the mail um, from the supplier that we both purchased from, but it was definitely worth the wait. If you haven't read the story or if you are interested in a few little tidbits or fun facts about it, here's a few for you before we get into the discussion. So it actually took V.E. Schwab or Victoria is what the V stands for um, in her initials. It took her 10 years to dream up and to imagine and to actually write this novel and to put it down on paper. So I definitely feel uh, a lot of sympathy for her that a, such a large piece of work came out in a year where uh, she couldn't necessarily toast and celebrate and have an awesome book tour uh, as, a, as a reward for 10 years of hard work. But it also very well could have uh, worked in her favour as well with a lot of people reading. The author of The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue also has 17 fantasy novels under her belt. Uh, yet Addie LaRue seems to be in contrast to a lot of her other books as the, the story is a lot more hopeful. She's quoted as saying, it's about being willing to live through hard times because of the promise of good ones. And when I read that quote, I just thought this rings so true um, to what a lot of our lives were like in 2020 um, or what a lot of people are currently still experiencing throughout the world. Another interesting fact about the book before I, we give it a quick summary is that immortality as a theme actually was um, inspired by the Lake District in, UK, in the UK. Uh, I know a lot of other bookstagrammers quite enjoy Taylor Swift. And this also made me think of her Disney Plus, the uh, Long Pond studio recordings, where she also talks about some of her songs and the inspiration for them also being the UK's Lake, Lake District. So I thought uh, that was a quite interesting tie to Taylor Swift's music as well. Some information about the book, a little bit of a summary before we get into our conversation. Described as a historical fiction, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue follows the immortal life of Addie, a young girl who makes a deal with a god who answers her after dark prayer. She is granted the wish of being untethered to anyone and from there ensures a life of immortality where she is forgotten upon leaving the sight of another. Until one day, Henry, a charming, dreamlike, literary delight of a guy, utters the words, I remember you. The story whips between the past and the present, and there are some little treats for the history lovers throughout, as major events and key figures throughout history are witnessed by Addie herself. So I would definitely say this is one of my most memorable reads of 2020, and I reached out to both of you as well, because your bookstagrams also reflected that you really enjoyed this story. There is so much to talk about in this book. And one thing that I can't quite go past is thinking about Addie's curse and what the best thing about this curse could potentially be. Mimi, what do you think the best thing about Addie's curse is? Um, I was quite enamoured with her ability to make a better first impression and to manipulate, you know, first meetings the way she wanted. Um, God, like, I'm such an awkward person. There's a few first impressions that I, I would have been happy to redo. So I thought that was pretty cool. And what about you, Briley? What do you think is the best thing about Addie's Curse? I think um, for me, it was all the experiences she got to have because of the curse. Whilst of obviously experiences have a lot to do with other people, you know, she got to meet a lot of different people. 
and obviously she lived a really long time so she lived quite a few different lives and I thought that was interesting. The wealth of experience that would come from living such a long life and living through so many different things um, within that life or that span of a lifetime is is a pretty cool thing to think about but I went really basic I just thought gee that would be great not to have the responsibility of work like not having to have to go to work every day and and I know that that didn't work in her favor because it also meant she didn't have money so she had to she had to steal but I just went pretty basic and thought oh wouldn't that be nice to wake up without the responsibility of having to go to work but of course uh work brings us uh, work brings us a lot of other benefits in our life other than than just actually going and getting paid of course I do think it's when we're talking about the curse as well it's important to recognize that I think there were some loopholes that were a little bit unexplained in the book and whether or not this is made as a deliberate choice so the reader themselves could kind of make up the answer I'm not sure but did you experience Briley any loopholes in the curse as you were reading the book something that was maybe not uh, explained to the reader This is actually something I didn't really pick up on, but um, I tend to let those things slide a bit more rather than question, unless it's like completely ridiculous. I just sort of make it up like in my head what I think the answer would be anyway. So um, I didn't find anything was like contradictory. So it wasn't a huge issue for me. What about you, Mimi? Was there anything left unexplained for you? I I would agree that it wasn't something when I was reading, but when I did, when when I was thinking about this question, there are a couple of things that popped into my head. The first one being that um, when they lose sight of her, they forget her. But if there was like a, say, like, you know how the, the, the photograph of her, if someone saw her and then was looking at the photograph and then saw her again, would they still remember her? Because I just don't know if that works or not. So like if they saw the photograph walked away yeah. from the photograph or, or even some of the paintings or the sketches. Yeah. So saw the sketch, saw the photograph, whatever it might be, walked away and ca- came back and looked at it again, whether they would remember seeing the image in the first place. Yeah. And would they remember painting it or like taking the photo either? Like, I wonder where that leads. That's a really uh, interesting observation and I hadn't I haven't thought about that but now I'm scratching my head over it I think as someone who doesn't read a whole lot of fantasy um, and as someone who's quite logical with a lot of things that it was something that I kept thinking about and one of my biggest ones was what if a character had to go to the bathroom in her presence like we know ourselves when you go out for dinner or an extended dinner whether it be uh, with a friend or family member there's a some stage someone at the table will have to get up and go to the bathroom or go to the bar and buy a drink or go and order dinner and i just i i couldn't kind of get past the fact that even the men that she kind of met throughout her life and they'd spend these really long extended periods of time with each other did not a single one of them have to go and relieve themselves and go to the bathroom at some stage during the evening and suddenly suddenly um she wasn't remembered by them i found that in particular to be something i continually thought about as I read the book. I think that was addressed maybe once, but there was the dinner party where one of the guests, I think, went to the bathroom and came back, but she didn't, I, I, the guest, I think, didn't want to be rude and be like, oh my gosh, I don't remember who this is. So I'm just like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just pretend I remember them. But I, I do get what you mean. Like, there's definitely when she would spend like a whole day with someone, 
Yeah, I don't think it makes sense that there was no time that they were separated, like for the bathroom, for instance. I, I completely understand that. I mean, the book would be twice as big if we had to have explanations for every single loophole we ever found in a book as well. So I still, yeah, I completely, I, I still completely like this book, um, despite despite the pitfalls or the, some of the loopholes that I thought. Overall, I thought it was a, an interesting topic in case there were any other thoughts that we had. There is someone who does actually remember Addie despite uh, leaving her presence, and that person is Henry. Mimi, what was your reaction to reading that page where Henry actually remembers Addie? So reading the blurb of the book, you kind of gather that there, there'll be one person that remembers her. It's not in the way that I expected at all. You know, it seemed completely ordinary how he, and that sort of, to me, was like a surprise. Like, it was just such a regular scene. Like, she was, they were doing normal things and he's like, oh, I remember you. And it becomes this groundbreaking thing that would, ordinary, would be ordinary. And quite often in our lives, things like uh, really big things can happen when we're least expecting them. What about you, Briley? What was your reaction to Henry remembering Addie? I was really excited. I kind of expected it because the story wasn't going to go far with um, people forgetting Addie all the time. Yeah, so obviously there had to be a turning point. I wasn't expecting Henry to become so involved with the book. Obviously, he gets his own chapters, which I really, really enjoyed. And I didn't mind having them included at all, but it was a really like lovely moment in the in the bookstore. It was beautiful. My jaw just dropped. Like I was like, oh, finally, like here we go. And like you you said before, Briley, about the idea of the story perhaps not going anywhere um, because there wasn't any other character in the book at, at the moment that we could also keep track of. So I agree that he kind of entered at the right moment to keep the book interesting. I instantly though started to go, okay, what's his deal? How come he can, rem how is it that he can remember Addie? Um, and I started to think, is he put there by the dark God? Is it some kind of trap? And then the the ultimate jaw drop when we find out that Henry is actually also cursed. And it makes sense. If Addie is cursed, there would be other people walking around the planet who've experienced a deal with the, the God after dark and are also wheeling and dealing. But did anyone else have any theories about Henry when we first discovered that he could remember her? Was there any other thoughts racing through your mind that you might have thought, ah, oh, that's why, that's how he can remember her? Yeah, so I um, sort of fell under the same assumption that it was a trap. I thought that it was the Dark Prince's way to get her to give up life again. He would be like, oh, I remember you. And then she would like, I don't know, love him or something. And when he was like, just kidding, she'd be like, okay, I'm ready. Like, I'm done with this. And that's really where I thought that was heading for a while. Briley, did you have any reactions to Henry remembering Addie or any kind of did you have any theories behind why Henry could suddenly remember Addie? I sort of thought that maybe he was immortal too at the start. I didn't really have any assumptions about like the darkness being involved, to be honest. I just really wanted it to go really well for Addie, I think. I'm a very optimistic person, so I just wanted there to be some bizarre twist that was unrelated to that. But um, it really fit the way that it was written. 
So Briley, as someone who is very optimistic and wanted things to work out for Addie, did you have any predictions about what would happen in the end? I didn't have any predictions. I just really hoped that Addie and Henry would end up together, but, <laughs> you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> we don't all get what we want, but it was a nice ending anyway. And what about you, Mimi? Did you have any kind of predictions for your for the ending of the story? I was pretty sure, and it sort of evolved as the storyline evolved. So when we found out about Henry's curse, I was pretty sure that as soon as he he was going to die, that she was also choosing to just die, basically. Um, which I know, it after the ending, I was like, yeah, maybe that was a little bit extreme. They hadn't known each other that long. But um, I really, that's the direction I thought it was going. I, and this is feeding back to what I said before about Henry, I started to think, oh, I know what's going to happen in the end here. And my guess was that Luke had actually bewitched Henry because we'd witnessed a few scenes where Luke had actually bewitched other people. So like the household in France that they were in. Um, and I thought, oh, is that a clue being laid that he can bewitch other people around her? So that's sort of what I thought might've been happening. Um, and then when Luke wanted to, he would remove the bewitchment from Henry and Henry would actually wake up one day and not remember Addie. And I thought, like what you were saying before, Mimi, I thought that would just destroy Addie. Um, and then that would cause her to slip on that ring and just to pass over her soul to him. I thought that it would just be so soul crushing for her. So even though I thought Addie would, would eventually feel so crushed and destroyed if Luke was to remove that bewitchment. I don't know whether I 100% believe the narrative of the love between Addie and Henry. There were little moments that sort of happened and littered throughout the book that made me think, can Addie actually love anyone? So my next question for you is, do you think Addie could love? Briley, what do you think? This is a tough one. I think obviously not being able to be remembered would have had a huge effect on that. I think if someone's forgetting you, you probably wouldn't want to remember them too well either. <laughs> because then you just end up with hurt feelings. So I think it probably would have been very hard for her to love and it probably would have taken a long time. But I'd like to think she would have been capable of, yeah. And Mimi, what do you think? Do you think Addie could love? that she was capable of doing so. I think this is a very, this might turn into a little rant, but I think this is a very complex issue because if you, if you think about sort of how love was displayed in her life, she was almost forced into a marriage, which she ran away from. And then there was, uh, there was, you know, Luke. And I think the idea of loving him was just because he was the only person who remembered her and they were stuck together forever. So it's sort of a toxic, I just want someone to love me, love. Um, and then came along Henry and obviously his curse is that people see what they want the most out of him. And what she wanted most was for someone to remember her. So um, I always, even before we knew about his curse, in the back of my mind, it, it kept revolving that she didn't love him. She loved the idea that someone finally remembered her. And so I never, I, I don't know if she's, if it's, I don't know if I'm saying she's not capable of love. I just don't think she has, she had the growth and, and, you know, sort of the, the 
you know, when people grow up, they learn love, but that's not necessarily her narrative. And therefore I'm not sure she knows what healthy love is about. In very deep, very, very deep. But I definitely, I, I think that um, I changed my mind throughout. And even after reading the book and putting it down, I still keep coming back to it and thinking about it and yeah, constantly change my mind. And even at one stage when her and Luke were in a relationship, I was thinking back on it and I think she did love him because he could remember her. He kept being a constant in her life. Um, And I wonder whether or not that same kind of feeling of love also was projected then onto Henry because he could also remember her. And I suppose there's also this one part as well where Henry's curse is the idea of trying to be enough for someone and whether or not Addie also saw Henry as enough and kind of fell in to that curse as well. Correct me if there was anything that contradicted that idea that Addie couldn't also see Henry in that way. No, I kind of agree. Like, um, their curses sort of reflect each other in that she wants someone to remember him and he wants to be enough for someone. And, you know, remembering her is enough for her. So I, I completely agree with that. So this book, as I said before, took V.E. Schwab 10 years to write. And I think it is absolutely littered with beautiful language throughout. And there's so many uh, lines that are highlighted throughout my copy that I really liked. Briley, was there anything memorable for you? Uh, Well, V. Schwab is definitely one of my favourite writers. She just has such beautiful prose. And there were a lot of um, quotable quotes in the book. But I didn't really note many of them down. I sort of remember there was one about... Uh, stories and being um, several lives, which is a playoff of another quote. I believe it's a quote from Game of Thrones, maybe? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, But I thought that was a really beautiful um, paragraph in there. I think I have it here for you. I'm going to read it out because it's also probably the one that I've got written down. And it reads, what she needs are stories. Stories are a way to preserve oneself to be remembered and to forget. Stories come in so many forms, in charcoal and in song, in paintings, poems, films, and books. Books, she has found, are a way to live a thousand lives or to find strength in a very long one. And I think that sums up the whole entire story for me, that quote there. And as someone who really loves history, I also was picturing the walls of ancient Egyptian mummies as I was reading this and that whole idea um, that that when um, a king or a queen was buried in ancient Egypt, their stories are on the tombs um, inscribed around them and uh, where their final resting place is. And it just, this quote just echoes in so many other situations like that. So was that the same one, Briley? Yeah, that was definitely the same quote. (laughs) And I think too, V.E. Schwab knows her audience. Anything to do with books and stories for people who absolutely love reading is going to prick people's um, ears and they're, they're going to love and resonate with. So I also thought that that this and that, that inclusion of Henry who works at a bookstore and then Addie's life also being recorded in a book, I think was a really perfect way of 
of reaching bookish people and people who love to to read this type of, of fiction. Mimi, do you have any quotes that you'd like to share? Funnily enough, I had the same quote written down, <laughs> but I do have another one. And um, something that also resonated with me, it was something along the lines of, um, what is a person if not for the marks they leave behind? And I think that's um, made, like resonated with me so much because despite being forgotten constantly, she still left these little marks on the world through art, through photos, through everything. Um, and so it, it really is thought provoking about the things for me that you unintentionally leave behind and, and sort of the impacts you make on other people's lives. Oh, very beautifully said. Uh, one thing that I did observe through the story um, and that, that I just thought about when you were talking about arts, Mimi, is I felt a little bit grumpy that a lot of the people who seem to make the deals with Luke or the God After Dark seem to be artists. And I don't know whether it's because I read it and sort of held on to it, but a part of me got a bit grumpy because I felt like, oh, could they not do that on their own? Is that what this is meant to be? That someone who wrote beautiful music but had to have help from from the devil or the god after dark i don't know whether the devil's the right word i feel like it's not the right word to describe who luke actually is um or could, has a beautiful singing voice but then also made a deal with the god after dark to get it there was a, there was a little smidge of me who felt a bit ticked off but i again i could have just been holding on uh, to seeing those characters come through Actually, not something I thought about before, but now that you speak about it, I, I understand that because it kind of undermines some, and some of them aren't important people in a greater span of history, but it does undermine some of, um, some really important parts of history that now it's like people aren't capable of doing these things on their own without, you know, help. It, it just means that, you know, people don't work hard to make their achievements. They have to cheat their way through it. So I, I actually... I understand where you're coming from that. And I kind of agree. And even I think Shakespeare was one of the other ones. I, f I feel like it was just because it felt like it wasn't any other key historical figures, but artists. And I don't know whether that was a choice because potentially they're the kinds of people that readers would know about who might be reading this kind of story. Um, or maybe they're people that the author in particular finds quite fascinating and wanted to write a scene where they were in. But I just felt it was a reoccurring theme of artists who were making a deal um, with Luke. Did you have any thoughts on that at all, Riley? Um, for me, I think it's a thing a lot of um, writers do, especially now. They like to like name drop references in their books all the time. And I think that's probably all V.E. Schwab was doing in this case. And she, I don't think she's <laughs> through. But now you guys have said it, yet a little bit strange um, to single out artists like that. Because it wasn't, it wasn't as if there was any like kings or queens or political figures or like criminals or anything like that throughout it. It, it seemed to, yeah, it seemed to definitely be pointed towards artists in a way. And I think there was only maybe one or two other people that kind of alluded to Luke making a deal with, but we didn't actually really know um, who, they, who they were. There wasn't um, a name attached to them. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to discuss before we end the podcast? I, f I feel like me being grumpy is not the best way to end it. 
I guess I'll just, I'd like to leave it on if you haven't read this book. I highly recommend it. It's, it's probably my favourite read of, of 2020. It has a lot of depth to it. And um, as someone who spent the year, um, I'd say, catching up on, on a lot of the fantasy that I haven't read for a long time, it was a bit of a breath of fresh air. It um, had some fantasy elements, but it really dug into some deeper things, which I really enjoyed. And I think even if you're not a fantasy reader, um, and I certainly wouldn't categorize myself as a fantasy reader, but historical fiction is definitely where my heart is. And although I try to read other genres outside of that, that's always the one that I come back to. But even though there was a fantasy element to it, it was still believable. And because it was set in the real world, it didn't feel too strenuous to try and imagine this mythical world around us. It was very, very much so, I guess, a time traveling novel uh, because we were also flitting between times, not that Addie physically herself was um, in the current timeline of the story. But yeah, I would also um, echo your words, Mimi, and, and, and yeah, add in, if, even if you're not a fantasy reader, this is very much so a good entry into that realm and that world. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I um, I think if you see early my early bookstagram, not that I'm saying like scroll through it or whatever, but um, I started <laughs> the year um talking a lot more about his- historical fiction and um, you know the classics and everything. So that's something that I've spent a couple years pretty exclusively reading, and you know it's it sort of to me is almost nostalgic coming back to that, and it's somewhere that I'm really comfortable and um. I also, I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast, sort of dual timelines, which I'm, I'm also a very big fan of. I love reading books that have dual timelines. And you, you sort of learn a lot of things about different time periods without it being like a lesson. You're just sort of like, oh, like this is how things change and this is how things were. And it's very enjoyable. I agree with Mimi. Uh, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue was definitely my favourite read of this year. I think it was actually kind of ended up being a good book to read this year in light of everything because it explores some pretty deep topics, but something that resonated with me when Henry and Addie go out together and they just go out to experience new things all the time. And I think it's those little things that make life enjoyable. Definitely. And even the, that, that echoing of immortality, but also that contrasting story of, of Henry who's running out of time and his mortality is something that plagues on his mind, even when he doesn't want to sit and watch a movie that someone else has already watched. And it definitely um, invites us to think about the fact that we do only live once. So it's important to do things that you want to do um, with your own life. And it also considers as well is that perhaps as much as we know time is short, would we actually want to live and, and be immortal like Addie? It was seeing what she's having to experience and the fact that all these people around her that she's making connections with, A, don't remember her, um, but also would, would be dying around her as well. And, and it wouldn't, wouldn't be a very fun life to live if you had the immortality, but nobody else around you did. Uh, thank you very much for joining me on the Book Story and Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It was good to talk to you again. You have been listening to the Book Story and Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Book Story and Podcast.